Hi everybody, it's Brendan Malone here. Before we start this episode of The Dispatches on the Clock, I wanted to take this opportunity to give you a quick update. Starting from next week on this channel that you're listening on right now, we are going to be publishing a new preview episode every time we upload one of our patrons-only episodes of The Dispatches podcast. So as you are probably aware, the patrons-only episode of The Dispatches podcast is published twice a week. It is a full-length episode but starting from next week, we're going to be publishing a short preview snippet from each patrons-only podcast that we publish so that you can actually get a taster for the kind of content that is discussed in those patrons-only episodes. If you like what you hear and you want to get access to the full-length episodes, all you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia and become a $5 monthly patron. The link is in the show notes for today's episode. Right, with that out of the way, let's get back to this episode of The Dispatches on the Clock. Ladies and gentlemen, start your stopwatches because you're listening to The Dispatches on the Clock and that means we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or less. Okay, so we're probably going to take a few extra minutes on this one to unpack this profoundly important topic because today we are talking about a brand new and very troubling survey about attitudes towards euthanasia that has just been published in Canada. So on the 5th of May 2023, the Canadian research company Research Co published a survey which was a representative national sample. It's a particular piece of research that they seem to do every couple of years or so. The last one was done in 2021. And they ask specifically in this survey about the issue of euthanasia and assisted suicide and in particular people's attitude towards euthanasia. And this is a research company that does research into all sorts of issues, not just this, but this particular survey was specifically focused on the issue of attitudes towards euthanasia. And some of the results are really quite astounding. What the survey found was that 27% of respondents think that you should be able to be euthanized because you are experiencing poverty. 28% of respondents supported euthanasia for homelessness. 43% of respondents supported euthanasia for mental illness. I'm not even sure how you could actually even remotely guarantee informed consent in such a situation, but clearly a large percentage of the Canadian population either doesn't care or has not even bothered to think about that fact. And the survey also found that 50% of respondents supported euthanasia for disability. What this survey shows is some very, very concerning things. And some things that myself and others in the pro-life movement have been warning about for some time now. What this survey shows is that very quickly, it hasn't taken long at all, it's only very recently that Canada legalised euthanasia. And in that very short period, euthanasia in Canada has now become the solution that wanders around looking for more and more problems to solve. This has been an issue that people have been warning about for decades now, that basically once you legalise euthanasia and assisted suicide, and you legalise 
those things for one reason or maybe two or three what you think are really good airtight reasons, people quickly start finding lots of other reasons for why they think it would be okay to end the life of another human being with a lethal injection or to assist them as they take their own life. Effectively, what this survey result is showing us is that there is a strong and growing attitude amongst the Canadian people that it's not okay to kill the financially secure, able-bodied homeowners because they are living the fullness of human personhood, obviously, and it would be wrong to euthanize those people, but it would be okay to euthanize people who are financially in hardship, who are experiencing disability, and who are maybe homeless, among other things or experiencing some sort of mental ill health. What this is, is this is a troubling new ideology, a destruction of the Christian vision of the human person and personhood as a truly sacrosanct and sacred thing, which should be respected and protected. And therefore, you don't ever allow You don't ever endorse, you don't ever legalize certain behaviors in your society because if you do, the destruction will be devastating and it will be widespread. But what this survey is pointing to is that there is now a growing belief that your worth is now tied to things like your function, it is now tied to your ability, it is tied to your bank account or whether or not you have a roof over your head. You are no longer inherently worth something simply because you are a human person. And that shouldn't surprise us. In a culture that has abandoned a sacred, transcendent vision of reality, well, we shouldn't at all be surprised to discover that they no longer consider sacred things like human persons to actually be sacred anymore. And they no longer consider that they are accountable to anything other than their own desires and their own exercises of power. If I'm not going to be judged by a divine judge because I have rejected a belief in God, then I can do whatever I want because I have become the new God. Or I I guess we should say we have become the new gods because it's also very relativistic and subjectivist. The individual subject makes up their own moral beliefs. Basically, what this uh, ideology is pointing to is the belief that you no longer have an inherent and inalienable right to life in the eyes of a lot of Canadian people. You now have a situation or a status-dependent luxury to live, you might say, rather than a right to life, and you have to earn that luxury. And like all luxuries, you are not entitled to it automatically, and it could be taken away from you at any time. That isn't just an extremely troubling vision of the human person. It is downright frightening and dystopian. And basically, there's some big problems that this is pointing to. What this does in effect is it means that the old extremes end up becoming the new normals because as things slip further and further towards these extremes, even if these extremes aren't currently legal, what it means is that societal attitudes, the dial if you like, is being shifted more and more towards the extremes. It is literally going down the gurgler at a great rate of knots. If I could give you a metaphor for this, imagine that you were thrown off a boat into a very deep ocean tied to a massive rock. 
and the rock is sinking well ahead of you and you are being dragged down by the rock. It's not really much of a benefit to you if you can say, well, look, uh, I guess I can look at the positive here and say, I'm not as deep in the hole as that rock is down there. Because the fact is, you're about to be that deep because you are tied to that rapidly sinking rock. So in this metaphor, the rock are these extreme ideas, like it would be okay to euthanize someone, to give them a lethal injection because they're homeless or because they're mentally ill or because they have a disability or because they are experiencing poverty. And the person in this metaphor is the society that is tied to those extreme ideas. And the thing, the rope, which ties them to those extreme ideas is legalized, normalized, glamorized euthanasia and assisted suicide. And that's what Canada has done. And that's what we've done also here in New Zealand. So we are now being rapidly dragged down by these extreme ideas and these extreme ideas are made permissible and are being given fertilizer to grow by the fact that we've legalized, we have normalized, and we have glamorized assisted suicide and euthanasia. If it's okay to do it to one group of people, then why is it not okay to do it to another group of people? If it's okay for one group of people to exercise their so-called dignity and their autonomy and to end their life with a lethal injection, how dare you deny that same right to another different group of people because they are experiencing different sets of problems which they believe impinge upon their dignity and their quality and their meaning in life. Now, it's not just that, but this survey paints a truly frightening picture about the future for Canada. Because when you look at the breakdown by age demographics, some really astounding things start to come to light. So, on the issue of euthanasia for poverty, the survey found that 27% of people support that. But when you look at the age demographic 18 to 34, what you see is that 41% of that age group supported euthanasia for poverty. 28% of people supported euthanasia for homelessness. Now that's bad enough, that's almost a third of people. But in the 18 to 34-year-old demographic, 41% of 18 to 34-year-olds supported euthanasia for homelessness. 43% of people supported euthanasia for mental illness. 54% of 18 to 34-year-olds supported euthanasia for mental illness. 50% supported euthanasia for disability. 60% of 18 to 34-year-olds supported euthanasia for disability. In all of these things, the youth demographic or the younger demographic was much higher. The young adult demographic was considerably higher than the previous generation. And 48% of 18 to 34-year-olds in this survey don't think that counselling a person to end their lives should continue to be a crime. These are very, very troubling results when you consider the future of Canada. But I would argue it's not just Canada, it's also New Zealand that has to take note and consider very seriously what these results are actually pointing to. Because this is what a post-Christian moral landscape actually 
looks like. This is the great lie of liberalism and its awful disastrous fruit and one of its worst manifestations. The great lie of liberalism is that we exist, live and move as a collection of individuals, a collection of autonomous reasoning, self-choosing individuals. And we can all just somehow maintain a coherent moral landscape by abandoning objective truths and creating laws which don't actually create restraint and instead endorse and put on a pedestal autonomy as the primary driver of laws. So allowing people to choose whatever they want to choose. And the problem here is that this is hugely destructive. If I could use another metaphor here, this is kind of like suggesting that you can have a swimming pool in which one end of the swimming pool would be for urinating and the other end of the swimming pool would be not for urinating. And you could say to two groups of people, well, if you don't want to experience urine when you go in the pool, just swim at the other end of the pool where no one is urinating. That's not how things work. When people are urinating in the pool, we all suffer. Why? Because we are not radical, autonomous individuals. We are inherently communal. We cannot exist without a prior community, which brings us into existence. And the first and most important of all the communities is the family. And we cannot survive without community that is willing to care for us and to care for our community. So if our mum and dad are struggling away on their own, it's going to be a lot harder and we might even suffer a premature death as a result of that. If they don't have a bigger community around them, we need the actual community of our family to care for us when we can't care for ourselves. And that's at both ends of our life. And not just that, but we can't flourish without community. At the very least, we need the community of one other authentic friend in our life that we can give ourselves to and that is willing to give of themselves to us so that we can actually flourish. We are not individuals. We are inherently communal. We move together. We breathe together. We exist together. We live together. The very reason we have human rights, for example, is because of community and to ensure that the strong don't just stomp all over the vulnerable. So we are inherently communal. Liberalism is a lie. And what that means is that you need to have laws that reflect that reality. And increasingly, our laws have abandoned that truth and they are now built on the false premise that we are just all autonomous, self-choosing individuals and therefore our laws can just allow anything at all and it's up to you, the individual, to decide what you will or won't engage in. As the Christian scriptures very wisely say, without restraint, the people perish. Restraint is essential, and it's not just self-restraint. The law also needs to play a role in this because the law is both a fence and a teacher. It is a fence that protects from the extremes of license, where people just cast off all restraint, and it is also a teacher which shows us, which guides us as a society, how we should act and think and behave in our society on an individual, personal level uh, every day of our lives. Here's the key thing, and how I think we need to prepare for the reality of this increasing loss of the fence and of the teacher. 
in our society. I think it is extremely important that we know what our line in the sand is before we even come near to it. Apparently, if you have thought about your moral line in the sand on any issue at all before you even get close to the line and you've made a decision in your mind what that line in the sand is that you're not willing to cross, when you approach that line, when you find yourself in that situation, you are more likely not to cross the line. But if you haven't thought about it and you find yourself in that situation, you are more likely to end up crossing the line rather than stopping. And that is is an important warning for all of us. We need to think about what our lines in the sand actually are before we even get close to them. In this case, we're talking about the issue of euthanasia and assisted suicide. What are your lines in the sand? Secondly, we need to know why the line in the sand actually exists, why it actually matters. So do you know the why of your lines in the sand? You might have an idea already in your head, well, my line in the sand is I would never be involved in this, but why? Why is that important? Can you explain, at the very least to yourself, why? Do you have a bigger why? For me, it is increasingly becoming just so apparent, as plain as the nose is on the end of my face, that we need the Christian vision of reality to be the why that underpins the lines that we have in the sand. It is just, I don't know, it just seems so fundamental to me, so blatantly obvious that if you don't hold a vision of reality that sees the human person as sacred and as personhood as something that must be absolutely protected and respected, then you're going to be in real trouble. And it is Christianity which gives the most coherent and substantial version of of that vision of reality because it says the human person is made in the image of God. Therefore, the human person is sacred. And what do you do with sacred things? You protect, you reverence, you respect those things. You don't tread on them. You don't treat them as mere objects. You don't ever deliberately or knowingly disrespect them. We also need to conserve that line in the sand in whatever way we can. So first and foremost, in our own life, we need to work hard to conserve that line in the sand. We need to stand our ground. We need to have a coherent moral philosophy and live that thing faithfully. We need to conserve that line in the sand when we have conversations with other people about these issues and these topics come up. Make sure you know what the line in the sand is and protect that line in the sand by actually being an advocate for that line in the sand in your conversations with people. If you're a parent, you need to conserve that line in the sand in the next generation. You need to raise them well. You need to teach them well. And we need to, I think, most essential in all of this is community. We need to do this in community. Gather together with like-minded individuals who have a sane, rational, authentically humane, and truly good and beautiful vision of reality and form meaningful community with those people. Live lives together. Do the ordinary mundane stuff. Suffer together. Experience festival, joy, rest, work together with people in community who have that vision of goodness, truth, and beauty that is truly life-giving and sustaining. And if you're not sure what steps to take next, or maybe you're a parent and you're thinking, how do I actually talk to my kids about this? Or maybe you think, I need to get better informed about these issues. What can I do? Don't be afraid to get in touch with me. This is what I do full-time in my ministry at LifeNet. I speak to people. I speak to conferences. I speak and spend time with individuals, mentoring and teaching and forming them 
in this beautiful Christian vision of reality, particularly in the space when it comes to morality and ethics around respect for human life. And I'm more than happy to talk to anybody at any time who has questions about how we can better form and shape our own lives and the lives of our children and the lives of the community around us to reflect that authentic goodness, truth and beauty, that life-giving society which changes everything for the better. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you next time on The Dispatches. On the Clock is brought to you by Left Foot Media. Support our important independent media work at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia with just $5 or more per month and you'll receive exclusive access to our full-length patrons-only episode of the Dispatches podcast every single week. That's patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Link is in the show notes. Mm-hmm.